Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn every Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. All right, Nick, so we are charging ahead with Amnesiac, second episode. Did you feel like I was too hard on some of those songs in the first no, I mean, like, the only one that you were really hard on was Packed Like Sardines. And you just called it the worst opener of their catalog, which is, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know if I reacted to it at the time, but I, was, I uh-huh. keep thinking about it. And I just, I was like, wow, that was, because in general, you weren't very harsh. But then I was like, oh, okay. wow. I mean, worst opener of the catalog. I believe I said the least impressive. <laughs> uh, which is a difference between the worst. But yeah. yeah. I'm... Well, I mean, but that's what that's what you're saying. Yes, probably. I mean, like, I, but I didn't mean it for the rest of their catalog yet because I still haven't. I can't compare it because I'm not listening to them the rest right. of the catalog yet. But in my head, it is the least impressive one. So I don't take it back. It is interesting. We'll talk about it a little bit with this, but in general, sitting down and playing the guitar is not as much fun. No, I find myself going back and playing the Ben's B sides. And then some of OK Computer, just to sort of play something on the guitar that's more than, you know, four chords that's looping around. I'm almost a bit worried that we're going to get the hail to the thief. And I'm going to think, oh, this is great. I'm a Chad. I'm playing guitar again. <laughs> well, that that's OK, though. I, maybe it'll make us appreciate that album more as we go through this. And we can kind of feel like they were, where they were just like picking at things. And then they're all of a sudden like, screw it. And then move on to something else. But first... We have to play our favorite game, actually, which is Name That Alternative Rock Riff. Oh, you always surprise me with this. Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. Have you been listening to your 2001 alternative rock playlist? I have not. I'll start with an easier one. Fell in love with a girl. All right, so got some some good white stripes, yeah. White stripes, yeah. Wait, I know this one. Ah, uh, what is that song? I know this. I even learned it on the guitar. This is Incubus. Ah, Drive. exactly. I had a friend who sometimes listens to this podcast, Brian, who was a huge mm-hmm. Incubus fan until that album came out. Okay. Uh, because like before that, this album, that Incubus album was like actually quite commercial, especially that song. Yeah. But earlier Incubus was like really sort of prog rock, really complicated. I didn't know that. I thought this was the only Incubus and I'm not a huge fan of this. Definitely played a lot on the radio. Yeah, he hated it. <laughs> He wrote this review for the news, the school newspaper that basically said, this is going to tank. They just sold out. I hate them. And then everyone, <laughs> you know, everyone else listened to it. And nobody even yeah. knows that there was earlier Incubus albums. All right. Ready? Island of the Sun, Weezer. That's right. I know it's the Strokes, but I don't know this, the name of the song because I refuse to like learn any of the names of their songs. 
someday. I'm an anti-strokes person. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Man, I loved the strokes. I know you did. <laughs> I'm aware of your... That first <laughs> album, their first two albums, actually. I, I saw them like before they like kind of broke big. Oh, I'm aware that you like the strokes. So you don't like them at all? No. I've, I've never, ever listened uh. to them voluntarily. Wow. Just not... I'm just going to put that on my crazy Austin list. Yeah, right there, there you go. I mean, I will, I like other bands that maybe you would categorize them with, perhaps. Like, I'm a really big Interpol fan. I really like the Walkman. Oh, man. They were just... They arrived yeah. perfect. You were not alone. I mean, like, what's uh, that Stephen Hyden book? I mean, he talks a lot about yeah. the Strokes, too. All right. That's a cake... Short skirt, long jacket. That's a pretty good yeah. song, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I like cake. Yeah, yeah. I, I like all. I mean, I don't know what they did after that song, but that song and like everything before, I was I, I can like even sing along. I got one more. Uh, Jimmy Eat World in the middle. The ride, everything, everything will be alright. be just fine. I like, I like. <laughs> I, I like really Jimmy like Eat that World. song. That's a really good album. <laughs> I kind of forgot yeah. about that song, and then I got back to it, and I was like, yeah. That's a big um, running song for me. Well, you did really well on that one. I, I mean, except for the not knowing what the strokes. Well, song you was did called. that on purpose to yourself, so I can't do any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, and it's good to talk about riffs in two thousand one because we have a riff coming up here. So let's start with it, which yeah. is "I Might Be Wrong." liked this song i've never even thought about trying to play it and it's rather fun i mean it's kind of been the Mm -hmm. same after a while as i was saying earlier it's a bit more challenging to actually learn it than i thought and then once you have like that main riff down you can kind of play along with the song and it's really fun yeah isn't it weird that i i never learned it either and it seems like on an album without much guitar that would have been something i would have done and so I I mean, yeah, I I had a lot of fun learning this one, especially the sort of the chorus. Like the G minor part. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's fun. My favorite part is, in terms of playing guitar, is the interlude like that. Oh, yeah. That's easily the best part of the song. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But let's back up. I mean, like, before learning on the guitar, how did you, what did you think about this solo? This sounds like a demo to me. <laughs> We're getting back into packed, like, sardines territory. This is one of those songs that I just think sounds 100% better live. This sounds okay. like a Tom demo that they may have added some stuff to. But, I mean, I do like it more than packed, like, sardines, because that's just an okay song especially like some of the words here but i just feel like live it f it finally makes sense it's funny i think it also sounds a bit like a demo but that's what i appreciate of about course it you do. um <laughs> well okay because we're gonna talk about another song uh -huh. later where they start to show this tendency to really like hold on to songs and really not let them go and they the songs then become a bit too precious I like that they were just like, yep, this is this, this is how the song is going to be. We could fiddle around with it like we do with other songs mm -hmm. and like come out with something crazy. And like in the end, it, you know, we're running something backwards and playing Mahalia Jackson over the top. No, we're just going to let it like this. I appreciate that. I, and I think that I miss that they don't give into that tendency more later in their career. And as like have these songs that they've been releasing with like the 20th anniversary of these two albums where I'm mm -hmm. like, nah, you should have just like let the song go a lot earlier. Hmm. I like the demo feel is that like, yep, it's not too precious. They just put it out and it's a great song. I mean, I wish that Phil's drums were here. These just sound like programmed beats to me that yeah. sound a little thin live it really digs in because you know this was actually the name of the live album that they released after amnesiac which i guess we'll talk about someday but and i, I get that it has like a very ominous feeling which is mm -hmm. kind of bizarre because the song's kind of about trying to let go of things <laughs> and right. not let like the ominous feeling control you digging into some of these words is pretty wild because apparently he said that it the song really comes as much from what my long-term partner rachel was saying to me like she does all the time be proud of what you've done don't look back and just carry on like nothing's happened just let the bad stuff go when someone's constantly trying to help you out and you're trying to express something really awful you're desperately trying to sort yourself out and you can't you just can't and then one day you finally hear them, you finally understand them, after months and months of utter fucking torment, that's what this song is about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so, I, I get it, but then man, it's bleak. For me, the line that really sticks out is like that, let's go down the waterfall. But it's the same sort of with Pyramid Song where they have that, there's nothing to fear, nothing to doubt. With another band and another song, like those two lyrics sound nice. Like, let's go down the waterfall. But this sounds terrifying. It's like, no, let's not, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> the line that gets me is like, to think about the good times and never look back. Well, and also the way that they pairs it with the chord is like genius. It's like, let's go down. It's like, think about the good times. It's, how's it, how it's going down. Uh -huh. And his voice is going up. He's, he has what the song is about. But like the music and his personality like doesn't let him really even believe what he says the song is about. Like it doesn't even really let him believe what his partner is telling him. I think that he knows that he might be wrong, but he's still very, he's going to be pessimistic about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just can't think of another song where a line like, what would I do if I did not have you? And then just make it sound just like desperate and sad. Like depressing. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> it's so strange. And that I want to avoid discussing his relationship with Rachel because like we have no concept of what that was like. I was trying to wonder like the other day if I would want to hang out with Tom York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it actually came up when I was like working on this song because I like the song so much, but I was thinking, ah, oh, I don't know. I mean, because I did, I read that same quote that you did about like, it might be wrong and it's with his partner and it's like almost sort of relatable. Mm-hmm. And I think, ah, oh, I don't, I just don't know if it'd be fun. I mean, I would probably, I know it wouldn't be fun for him because I'd just be like this fan. It's like right. wanting to ask him all these like questions and stuff. And then, like, if we hung out long enough to get off, get past all of my annoying questions and we could just hang out, I don't know if I would enjoy it. That's it. Yeah, no, there are a lot of people that, like, just want to meet their, like, celebrity heroes or, like, that would be a thrill for them. And I don't feel like that at all with Tom or anybody. I mean, I guess I would love to meet Ed. Ed would seems like a fun guy. I would want to, like, drink beer and watch a soccer game with Colin. Okay. <laughs> and try to get him to talk about something. No, I just think that he would like say really hilarious stuff every now and again. Because I was like, ah, if I wouldn't want to hang out with Tom, like who would I want to hang out with? And I was like, Colin watching a soccer game, drinking beer. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. What's fascinating to me about this song is that like, how is how does this not sound like other drop D late 90s, early 2000s stuff? Like if you play it by itself, it almost sounds rockabilly. There's a way that you can play where it just sounds like... All those drop D bands I don't I didn't even want to look up. But I know that music was around. And how does it not sound like that? I mean the notes are the same. Like how does that sound like a radiohead song? Yeah. And not I do uh, think that maybe they, I would like it better if it were a B side. Oh. <sighs> ah, Nick, this is like sorry, but this is like one of the best songs on the album. <laughs> what? <laughs> No way. Oh, this isn't even close oh, to the top. Come in. Come, oh. <laughs> I mean. I do. I mean, I do like it. I don't hate it. It's not it. better than Pyramid Song, but it is better than You and Who's Army. Yeah. I like Poke Pole more than this song. That's that's just kind of a crazy thing <laughs> I told you I have a lot of trouble with this album. It really frustrates wow. me. Everything about okay. this album is just like, why do they do this to me? I feel very like personally attacked sometimes. You want you just you just want too much control over what Radiohead does. It's true. With, I want them to do stuff. what I want and them to do. I just I just want them to do what they want to do, and <laughs> it makes me a better fan. Okay. Ah, I mean, but this is like, I mean, that just though I don't even know. It's just picking through the chord. That part really does save the song for me because we're gonna get to another song here that I feel like doesn't change as it goes mm-hmm. on and this song could just kind of keep jamming you know and it, yeah. and because of that ending it does give it i i don't want this to be a b-side i take it back i do okay i just don't I mean, because like he it just just tom's like voice floating over that part uh-huh. like, <laughs> i mean it's just we should move on yeah, yeah. now we're moving on to knives out
been trying to do this whole project where I look at the chords in the chord book first before I go and listen to the song. Back when we were doing Paranoid Android, when I first sat down and was trying to pick out Paranoid Android, like the first, I didn't, I didn't do the Paranoid Android, you know, I did this. <laughs> and it's, I mean, like, and it's not only those two chords really that are the same. It's true. But like, it's, that's the Knives Out version of those two opening chords is what like stuck in my head first and i was like wait this is not paranoid andrew like and it took me like it took me a good five minutes to push the knives out out of your head pattern and to get to the paranoid android like it does sound a little similar especially at first it goes yeah, somewhere yeah. very different but mm-hmm. i get i get why people are like they're just reused. <laughs> I think the Pitchfork review, actually, the original one that came out, mentioned that it yeah. was the same riff. It's not. It's just like the sequence is a bit similar right at the first two bars. You know, but then once you get to like... That's a really cool chord. Yeah. Then you're, you're in very different territory. Very different. Can I ask, which song do you did you find harder to learn, Paranoid Android or this one? The picking pattern of Paranoid Android is more complex, I feel like, because this one is just the... Whereas you're hitting different notes, but the chord formations for Knives Out are pretty strange, and then it it gets stranger as it goes along. It took me a while, especially the verse chords, like... I find it's like, it's just so much more exact. I mean, I, I think that's where you have the... Oh, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, you have the connection to the Smiths, right? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of guitar playing is like really exact. And if if you're not hitting the notes as though you've, you know, rehearsed them for sort of like a piano concert, it doesn't sound right. Right. Whereas like Paranoid Android, you, you know, like you should still be exact, but it's kind of, it's a bit looser. It's like... Like you have to hit those bass notes, um, kind of strum through it, and you don't have to hit everything exact. Whereas this one, like if you don't hit those notes, it's not, it doesn't sound right. And I, that's what I found so uh, not frustrating, but more difficult. Yeah, that's a really good point because the narrative about this song is that it is the most conventional song on the album. It's not really, <laughs> it's actually harmonically very complex. And mm-hmm. The way they play is so exact that to play along with it takes a lot of skill. It is mm. a very strange song. As I think I mentioned it in the Brad Osborne book, he says, two songs in radio's catalog stand out as the most harmonically perplexing. They are, in fact, so bizarre that to group them together seems a matter of convenience at best. Both rely on a technique standard to popular music, that of presenting a repeated harmonic progression in a sort of circular loop. What they share in common is the fact that this repeated loop seems to begin in one key and end in another. And that's the verse part of Knives Out and the choral section of Paranoid Android. So the first section of Knives Out has a bass motion of C, B flat, A flat. When it gets to the G, you expect it to go G, F, E flat. But what it does mm-hmm. is the G, F, and then the E minor. Nine, like E minor nine, right? Yeah. You, have, you leave your pinky there. 
people say it sounds like the Smiths, but I feel like that's from people that don't listen to a lot of the Smiths. <laughs> right. The, it, it sort of sounds like the Headmaster Ritual, the sort of opening mm. track on Meet is Murder. I love the Smiths, so I could talk about the Smiths for a long time if we need to. I mean, the, oh, the, I remember we went to the remember we went to that Morrissey Smith night in New York. Yeah, when I lived in New York, I would I would go to this Smiths night at Sway. I don't know why I made everyone go, but it was really fun. Well, I had to go every time I was there on a Sunday night. I know <laughs> I had to make everyone stay up till like three in the morning on a Sunday night to go to this like. <laughs> This strange club where like celebrities would come in just because like they were playing the Smiths. It was a different time. And, you know, the song has the guitar style of Johnny Marr, that sort of picking, the intricate picking mm-hmm. pattern. Of course, Tom York doesn't sing anything like Morrissey. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Morrissey is very dramatic and very catchy. A lot of their songs are very pop song oriented, mm-hmm. like... And this song is not at all. No, I mean, uh, they released it as a single and they like even got Michelle Gondry to do the video. Yeah. Which is awesome. It's like a, such an amazing, it's an amazing video, which is like sort of, it's like a autobiographical video for Michelle Gondry where Tom York is playing <laughs> him, which is awesome. I love that sort of like layering of narratives. But no, this is not a, I mean, it's not even close to a Smith song. And like, it took me forever to, I was glad you sent over that one song because I kept going through the catalogs. Like, what song, what are they talking about? Yeah. The only thing I could do was I said at the beginning is that the, the picking is very exact. It's like not even a lot of notes, but you just have to hit them exactly right or the song doesn't work. For, this is the first song from these sessions that I ever heard. They premiered it as an, an acoustic form on a f- surprise webcast on December 9th, 1999. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited to hear anything from it. And this very low quality demo, essentially, or live version of it was the first that I heard. And so mm-hmm. I was totally entranced by this song from the very beginning. And what was also very confusing about it is that there's all these stories that it took a really long time to complete. I want to ask your opinion about this, because this has always confused me beyond belief. One source said Knives Out took 373 days to complete, which Mm -hmm. is just an absurdly long amount of time for one song. But I don't think it really took 373 days to complete. It's just like that's when the song was started and finished. It's not like every day they were trying to play this one song. What I read or came across is that they basically they had it. They thought it was too simple. I mean, like maybe they also had in their head the similarities with Paranoid Android. And so what I had is like they they kept coming back to it and trying to change something to it. This is what I was talking about. Where like with with I might be wrong, they left it alone. With Knives right. Out, they kept coming back and wanting to do something differently because they thought it was just too normal. And then. After these 373 days, they or listened to the original thing that they recorded and said, oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the Stephen Hyden book, they said that it took 313 hours of studio time, which is a long time to spend on any song. They were experimenting and then they just like basically went back and fine-tuned the first version of the song. By the way, so- I would pay any amount of money to hear like 10 different versions of this song. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I want I want all of the 
versions. I know. I mean, like leak leak this, please. I know. Like. I don't need the like this the kid amnesia B sides. Like we'll get to it, but I want ten different versions of Knives Out. I want to hear what that sounds like. I will say that this is a very live focused recording of like guitars and drums and it mm-hmm. sounds amazing on headphones. Yeah. Like this is one of the best sounding songs on the whole record. I I will give it to you that like especially when you're listening to this album on headphones the difference going from I might be wrong to how this sounds on headphones is you do think, okay, what are you guys doing? I mean, like you're better at sound quality than this. I'm it fine. really is. It just sounds so beautiful that Knives Out does. And when it gets to the solo is one of the most perfect sections of any Radiohead song I know. And mm. it's so strange because it's so quiet to hear all of the, it, it, this gets back into sort of letdown territory where you Mm -hmm. have all of these guitars weaving in and out of each other. Johnny's part is barely audible sometimes. You have to really focus on it, but they're all playing so cleanly. And there's like space between the instruments. Yeah. It's great. I understand, I think, why they didn't want it to just be this version. I think one of the reasons it sounds so great is because that's what they, this is what they do. Like, this is what they've been doing. I mean, like, the harmony, especially, like, as uh, Brad Osborne points out, in the verse is, like, a bit different, but it's not as though Radiohead hasn't reached for that odd chord that throws everything off before. That's true. You know, like, they they do this. And I think that they didn't, they weren't sure if they still wanted to do it on this album. And I'm glad that they decided to. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But I understand, I understand the hesitation. I mean, that chord... Uh, in the at the end of the chorus, oh, the you know, E minor like, six nine. <laughs> it's so nasty. Yeah, it's like it's just so. It's like a dirty chord. It is. This I'm is like, not a pop song. It is a I'm very like, get off of my, the, my my guitar's like. What are you doing to me? I'm like I'm doing this <laughs> to you. You know, because you go from like this like really clean like uh, G minor. Like it sounds really nice. To mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. It is a really nasty song, too. What surprised me the most this time is that I was reading around on Reddit and some person found a TV show called British Silent Witness. And almost all of the words in the verse are straight Mm -hmm. from this TV show. I said, yeah, you sent that to me, and I was like, man, that person got lucky, right? Because he just heard it in the other room, right? Somebody was watching it. Right. It in doesn't the other make... room, and he's like, wait. And, like, somebody actually has knife a knife out in the scene. Yeah. So congratulations to that Reddit Redditor who uh, found yeah. that, because there's nothing else that would point you to British Silent Witness TV show from the mid-'90s or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, actually, I have to talk to a guy I know it's from England British people just sort of know things, right? I was telling him about this podcast and he was like, oh yeah, you know, like I went to this show of like the kings of something and Radiohead opened for them and I liked them. So I went and picked up the Drill EP for a pound 
the next day and i'm like what yeah <laughs> you know i mean like radiohead stuff is just in the air and i think i think maybe in britain in england they just would like ah, oh, yeah they're talking about silent witness i should ask him yeah that's a good um, I, I i'd never heard of it but maybe it's a popular soap opera or something that's on well you had also never heard of you never watched doctor who so i did not i have not I did actually live in London for a little bit, so I should know this stuff. It's very I don't know how you lived in London and didn't watch any Doctor Who. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I was supposed to be doing... I was walking around the whole time. I love London. I would move back in a second if I could. Yeah. I I, I woke up actually this morning homesick for London. Oh, really? There's just like certain weather here where I'm like, ah, this would be better in London. You want the weather in London is better? Yeah, of course. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's the main reason to go there. It's like, Where it's dreary and... Like, like spitting mist- gray clouds. Mm-hmm. Perfect. 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 Okay. People yeah. like don't look at you. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this song is very bleak. It is... Tom said it was... It's part of the idea of a businessman walking out on his wife and kids and never coming back. <laughs> it's so also the thousand-yard stare when you look at someone close to you and you know they're going to die. It's like a shadow over them or the way they look straight through you. The shine goes out of their eyes. But I, yeah, so this song has that Radiohead balance of the more you look at the lyrics and think about it, the darker the song is. But you can also just put this song on headphones, and it just is astonishing. Phil's work on the drums just sounds like he's rushing through the wind. It seems to float, and Mm -hmm. it never stops. It's like it's almost exhausting if you really concentrate on the drum part, because you're like, how is he doing this the whole time? We have another special guest here with Eric Evans. He's back to talk about bass parts in Radiohead songs. But first, Eric, um, so what's your sort of overall opinion of the Kid A amnesiac era with Radiohead? Uh, it's, uh, it's probably my favorite era. Kid A was the first album of any band, like the first just bit of music that I... I think you actually took me out to, and we both bought a copy of it at the same time. I don't remember if we went to Ear Ecstasy or if we went to Madison for it. Oh, that's uh, true. But we listened to it in your car, and I think you actually took a long way so we could finish the album. And then <laughs> we both kind of just sat in silence. I went inside my house, you drove off, and then I just listened to it like four more times that night. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Knives Out. This is the song that you kind of did a deep dive into. What I wanted to push back against is this narrative that Knives Out is the conventional song of Amnesiac, mm-hmm. which I guess like it has guitars yeah. and <laughs> drums. And so in that way, it is pretty conventional. But then when I started breaking it apart, I, was, I just couldn't believe everything that was there. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's weird, though, until you... Until you kind of break it apart. Yeah. Because you think of other great like sort of distinctive bass parts on the Kid A amnesiac. And I think of How to Disappear Completely, and I think of I Might Be Wrong, but not Knives Out until I looked at it. 
Yeah, because it's not it's not like a a driving melodic part. Like obviously national anthem is basically silence and horn noises without the bass part going on. Um, right. <laughs> and so like in a way, the bass kind of plays a more standard role in this song, since the guitars are really kind of doing that like riffing part. Uh, the bass is creating the foundation for those. Not necessarily playing the root notes, though. It's creating inversions and chords kind of with a lot of walking or stepping down chord changes, which is kind of a standard classical technique. But really, the way that I hear the bass part, it's sort of locking all the things together, of course. But I mostly hear it as a harmonization with the melody because the melody kind of just follows the chord changes, like one note per chord change. And the bass is essentially doing the same thing. So like, I want you to know it's not coming back. It's like in choral music when you have like bass tenor alto soprano or the bass and the and the soprano are sort of like the opposite ends of the spectrum, but the melody and the uh, the foundation is sort of fulfilling its role in in almost like a a vocal choral sense throughout the song, and then as it progresses, it starts throwing in. It, it stays with that, but it throws in more of these like little walking lines that aren't even really that flashy or flourishy, but uh, they just sort of create like an extra in, an extra little bit of tension in the okay. music. So you know, it kind of starts out with just these this. Uh, So then it, you know, it'll start throwing in like. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's really, it's really satisfying. And it is totally something that like, if you're not listening for it, might just blow right by you without, without you really realizing it. But what about the chorus? So with the the big key change, what is it, an A minor? Uh, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then I think he actually just sort of doubles the the vocals on the second half. It. back to that E with that little, that little G pull off riff. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that. Like that <laughs> sort of like pulling up the octave on that. It's, okay. such, it's just so, <laughs> it's, it's such a simple basic thing, but it's so effective. Are there any other songs that you're particularly thrilled about on either Kid A or Amnesiac? Uh, I mean, you'd, you'd already mentioned uh, How to Disappear Completely. I mean, honestly, like all of Kid A, I, I don't even think of Kid A as, in, as individual songs. I think of it as just like one, you know, 42 minute long song or however long the album is. Um, yeah. It, it, 
I, it, it's hard for me to start <laughs> like in the middle of it. And it's hard for me to turn it off. Like once I, once I press play on everything in its right place, which I also love. Um, and the amnesiac, uh, I, I might be wrong. That's such a great guitar lick. And the, the baseline like sort of provides a counterpoint to the guitar, but then also to the synth part. It's such a such a cool groove, and then I I don't know what the the synth part is, but then uh, like kind of <laughs> kind of playing against the the bass line. Uh, All right, well that is really awesome. Thanks so much, Eric, for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Should do this again. All right, we need to keep moving here, and we're getting to morning bell. So, first, opinion. Which one is which version is better? Oh my god, the Kid A version is so much better. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> ah, no. It's wrong. The reason that Amnesiac is better is like this is a better version of this song. Now what? I will qualify it. Uh, doing this project. I always thought the Amnesiac version was better. I liked the, the juxtaposition of the Kid A version is just dark and the lyrics are dark. Whereas this is like, this is, you know, chimey bell happy and the lyrics are still dark and I love it. I mm-hmm. love like that, this paradox. Okay. But the chords employed on the Kid A version on the guitar, I will admit, are better. The immediate version is this like... Right, and so like you have the... A minor to the regular C minor, A minor to like a C minor with a um, G sharp bass note. Mm-hmm. The kid A, I mean, you have the A minor with that open A string. That's just a better chord, mm-hmm. right? That A, that A major seven, and then you go, you change the bass note, and you go to the C minor. It's just harmonically, it's better. So, the chords are better in the Kid A version. The final song is better on the Amnesiac. Hmm. I will say I don't dislike this version. I do like the sort of major key lift at the end of this song. It really is very beautiful. I just, this is, they could not have sequenced this album any worse than they did. It's just, (laughs) it's absurd to have this. What do you mean? It go. I mean, to come after Knives Out, this is the worst this song. Is they the, could have, I mean, it's like the best. The best they could have done. No, it, it just, any momentum is just immediately killed. Just outrageous. This is what they. This is what they, exactly. What do you mean? They want to kill the momentum. They want to make well, it. I mean, yeah, you don't need momentum. <laughs> the end of Kid A just races toward the end and yeah, like exactly it's just too sealed off it's racing Whoa, it's exhausting and this, 
This could be a two-minute strange thing that fades in and out. They could create a three-hour like loop version of this for YouTube, and I would put it on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't... Get out of here. What? Everything they say about... I mean, they, so at the beginning, remember I was talking about how they... That Tom described Amnesiac as like finding all these like tattered pages in a box. I would have loved to see all these like snippets of other songs in... This is not, this is like, but this is the original version, right? This is not precious. I mean, it is precious, but this is like, this is the OG version of the song. I know, and they made it better in the... And they, no, they <laughs> fooled with it too much. See, this is like, Kid A is version is like, nope, they, they fooled with it too much, make it precious, and they should have just left it like this. I was trying to sing it today, and man, it is beyond high. It is yeah. impossible to get yeah, to. Yeah, I tried. It's like, no, I'm not going to try it live. I've tried it a couple times recording. Yeah. yeah. This one sounds more like a ghost. Remember how Tom yeah. said this no, song see, is actually exactly. about a ghost? I know. I know it is. See, again, you're just saying things that show that it's better. Killing momentum. Yes, there's a ghost. You need to stop. Consider the ghost. I know. I don't. You know, like, this is what I mean. It's like it's, this album just like contracts and expands. It's like more of a living beast. Whereas Kid A is kind of like, no, this is, this is so completed. This is so like sequenced. I don't know. I just feel like I'm closer to the band with this album. I actually kind of really like the Morning Bell version that's on Kid Amnesia because it's shorter. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's, it's not okay. As good as this one. Okay. I mean, of course, they give us another version of Morning Bell and not another version of Knives Out. Why? Why, Why? would they? Why would they do that to us? They already have given us two <laughs> versions of Morning Bell, and they've like they have these three hundred hours plus of Knives Out versions. Give mm -hmm. us one of those. I know. You know, one time they just like had Tom playing the drums and Phil was like playing some strange, you know, radio. And that would have been amazing. Johnny was on the... Uh, Don Martineau again. Oh, it was Martineau. He's just like... <laughs> I like this song. I like it more than Pact. And I just wish it weren't here. I don't know how I'd feel if they... if I. There wasn't a Kid A version. That's an interesting question. There's no way to go back in time to erase that. So right. it's deliberate to have it. I'm, the Kid A version is good, but this is one that has staying power in my mind. Okay. If I think about Morning Bell, I hear this version. All right. I think All right, we yeah. have one more song, right? Yeah, one more song. It's Dollars and Cents. So this song started out from a jam where they were just sort of improvising along the lines of a band called Can. Do you, are you familiar? A German band. A German band called Can. I really am not a fan of this song. <laughs> 
I love Can. I just, Can is so wild. Like, they're so crazy, and you never know what's going to come. And this just seems like a repeated phrase over and over again. The bass line just runs through the whole thing. I know they do that on the national anthem, and for some reason, it's so different on the national anthem. I feel like they had this really short snippet, and they're like, this is awesome. And then... Instead of using it as, as like a snippet, they try to like make it into a song. I'm, I'm surprised. I was expecting you to come in and like love this song because did you not read that like the orchestration comes from that Colin just played Alice Coltrane over the top and they're like, oh, that's brilliant. And then I thought I had read that Johnny then did the orchestration to mimic Alex, Alice Coltrane's sort of vibe over the top, which is the most interesting part of the song. It is the most interesting part, how the strings uh, kind of follow along. Uh, I mean, I want to defend this song because I have to defend Amisiac, but especially just trying to pick this through on the guitar, I was just supremely bored. This has to be one of the least interesting guitar riffs that they've come up with, and mm. it's the whole song. You know, like the only other thing is like it's just going, you're going from B major to B minor. <laughs> which is what they've done. They do that all the time. I like listening to the song a bit. I like that, how it builds towards the end and like Tom just kind of is going crazy and they kind of layer his vocals and he starts yelling and stuff. Like that's really cool. But I agree with you live. I mean, I saw this live in Ohio. It was not fun. I was like, okay, let's go to the next (laughs) song. (laughs) There's just not a lot to say about it. Other than like the Alice Coltrane part is cool the orchestration is cool i like that a lot i'm not a jam band person i tried to listen to can and i was like nah, no not going to i don't have that much time this is one of their least played songs on spotify from their huh. whole catalog and it's very bleak on an album that mm-hmm. is very bleak without yeah. much and it is i mean my god this is the worst sequencing of any album i can imagine to come i actually like i took out i i've been trying just for weeks to try to arrange amnesiac and it you can't do it it's impossible to rearrange it no well, because um, it is it is like it is nick i know and it's not it how exists. i want it to be <laughs> <laughs> it just exists come just let the song ex- just let the album exist as it is it isn't is that is organic uh-huh this is what really frustrates me about amnesiac is this section when it goes from morning bell to dollars and cents and then to the next song which we'll talk about later yeah i'll talk we'll talk about that later because i like i like that after this song i do have to admit that with this project specifically in trying to kind of get through this song i was like uh maybe it's not that great i never really like i mean like it wasn't ever my one of my top songs on this album they like Captain. loved to play it live though. They played it live all the time. I wanted to like this song more because I was very into their more jazz influenced songs on Kid A and even on Amnesiac. I just think that, I mean, this doesn't need to be this, I, I, it doesn't need to be five minutes long or whatever it is. No, it is long. It is interesting though that you like. You know, on the bends, you were very particular that you didn't think it was sequenced as well as it could be. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think 
I've listened to this album too many times front to back without skipping or going around that I just I'm like I it's so set in stone for me I would never have I never thought about having it different I've been very honest I love songs on Amnesiac I really do next week we'll talk about hunting bears like spinning plates and life in a glass house oh I'm so excited yeah I'm pretty excited about those I'm, I'm not gonna lie <laughs> wow so we'll end strong that's for sure all the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. 